So whatever is going on in your life today, say what God says. Whatever is going on in that little heart of yours this morning, say what God says. Do you feel like God must be fed up with you by now? Then say what God says. He rejoices over you with singing. Do you feel like he has abandoned you? Say what God says. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you feel like your life is just one big pointless mess? Say what God says. He's working all things together for your good. As Christians, we are called to take our cues from the Bible. You know that. I know that, right? We're called to let God's word overshadow every other voice. We're called to submit to God's word because this book is our authority. We must say what it says and not what we feel, not what we think. This book must be our guide. This book is actually calling us away from death the death that this worldly system offers us. Culture and this worldly system, on the other hand, promises us life apart from this book, right? But what culture actually calls us to, this world system, what it actually calls us to is death. So culture and the world and sin and the devil and our own flesh call out to us and they say, hey, y'all come over here. There's life. There's refreshment. Forget that old book with its antiquated ideas. Come find true freedom that resonates with your heart. But it's a trap. It's death. The Bible, on the other hand, calls us to life, to real life, even if it sometimes feels like death. And it will sometimes feel like death when you follow God's word. Sometimes it will feel like death to follow Jesus, but it's really life. Like Jesus said in John's gospel, in John six sixty three, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you know what happened after Jesus said these words? A few verses later, beginning in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We don't want to walk away from Jesus today. We don't want to walk away from Jesus and his words like some people did back then and as so many Christians are doing today. Culture, our culture and social media, what's happening in our world and feelings are drawing people away from God's word. So we want to be like Peter and say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's what we'll see one guy do today. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22. And as you turn there, 
Recall from last week that King Ahab had 400 prophets. He kept 400 yes-men on the payroll, and they always told him what he wanted to hear. They told him that he would be victorious if he went to battle with Syria in order to regain the city of Ramoth-Gilead. But King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, who was hanging out with King Ahab, he was a little skeptical that 400 prophets agreed unanimously. So he asked Ahab, are there any other prophets we could ask? And Ahab told King Jehoshaphat that there was this one guy, this prophet named Micaiah, but he never told Ahab what he wanted to hear. And so Ahab didn't like this guy. But eventually Ahab caved and decided to follow King Jehoshaphat's advice, so he sent for the prophet Micaiah, and that's where we pick up the story today. So 1 Kings chapter 22, we're going to start with verse 13, but we're just going to hover over a couple of verses today and see what it has to say to us as we look and, uh, with our culture and what culture is saying to us and social media and how we're trying to navigate all these waters. We're just going to hover over a couple of verses today. 1 Kings 22, beginning in verse 13, and hear the word of the Lord. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. So they send for Micaiah. He gets picked up in Ahab's limousine, I assume. And on the way, he gets warned by one of Ahab's toadies that he better fall in line and agree with the other 400 prophets. They tell him he better not do what he normally does. He's supposed to speak favorably to the king. But Micaiah is a prophet of Yahweh, the Lord. He's a servant of God's word, and he knows that he is not free to make up what he wants. He must speak the words that the Lord gives him. And so he tells the officer, I only say what God says. This man wants Micaiah to lie, but Micaiah says, I'm only going to speak the truth. I only say what God says. Micaiah reminds us of something that I briefly mentioned last week. We are not free to make this book say whatever we want it to. We only deliver what it says. And so a great responsibility falls on every pastor to make sure he is speaking God's word. And a great responsibility falls on every disciple of Jesus Christ too, right? And that's why we need community. We need the local church community and we need the community of church history because we aren't free to make this book say what we want it to say. And that's a real temptation, isn't it? That's what we're seeing in churches in this cultural climate. People are deciding that what they feel is how the Bible should be interpreted. Understand this, good theology happens in community, in the church community, not in your heart. Good theology does not happen in your heart. It happens in community, in the church community. Good theology doesn't just happen in our community today, in this local body here at Grace. Good theology also happens in the community of church history. 
We hold to the beliefs and the traditions that were passed down from the apostles and prophets in God's word to the early church, as Ephesians 2.20 says. The problem is that Christians today have chronological snobbery. Many churches don't value tradition. Many churches don't value church history. So we need to be rescued from our chronological snobbery where we think that because we're further down the line, then we have the correct interpretation of Scripture. In fact, we need to be rescued from our own thinking that we, all by ourselves, can be trusted with Scripture. The hard truth that we must hear today is that we cannot be trusted with the scriptures all by ourselves. We can't be trusted with the Bible all by ourselves, sitting at Starbucks and drinking coffee. We simply cannot be trusted with the scriptures all by ourselves. We need outside help. We need help in order to say what God says. One of my church history professors, Dr. Jeff Bingham, said it this way. You cannot trust me to be a gentleman with scripture on a date by myself, unobserved and unmonitored. You must send a chaperone. Tradition. I don't want to date tradition, but scripture. I'm interested in having a relationship with scripture, but in order for it to be fruitful, I have to bring in tradition. Tradition helps me stay in the straight and narrow. We need a chaperone when we read the Bible. Otherwise, we will not be a gentleman with God's word. We need tradition. We need the community of God where the spirit of God is. We need the traditions that have been passed down to us in the creeds and the councils of church history. Otherwise, we might come up with some crazy ideas about God. I need a chaperone when I read the Bible, because I read the Bible as a white, 47-year-old, reformed evangelical male from Texas. That's the lens through which I read the Bible. That's how I read the Bible. And so now you know how I read the Bible. Therefore, I have absolutely no optimism for private, individualized Bible reading. I have no optimism for private, individualized Bible reading. Why? Because when I read the Bible, I read it as a white, 47-year-old redneck. That's not very encouraging. That doesn't provide much hope, does it? And that's the guy who's preaching to you now. The guy who prepared this sermon, reading the Bible by himself, is a white, redneck male from Texas. So let me say it again because I'm not sure you heard me. I have absolutely no optimism for private, individualized Bible reading. Now, this is very important. Hear me out. I do not mean that you should not read your Bible by yourself. Let me say it again. I do not mean that you should not read your Bible. So please don't misunderstand me. Please, read your Bible. Just Be careful. We cannot be trusted alone with God's word. On a date, by ourselves, unmonitored, with no chaperone, 
we might come up with some wacky ideas about Jesus. And church history is littered with examples of this. We'll see it tonight in our church history for dummies class. Come back at 6 p.m. and learn about the heretic Arius and how he had a distorted view of God. So no, I'm not saying that you can't read the Bible by yourself. You need to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible by yourself. Please, read the Bible by yourself. But please, hear me say this again. Don't just do it alone. Read your Bible, but don't just do it alone. After all, where do we get the strength and the wisdom to navigate our cultural climate? Where do we find hope to stand up against this world system which seems to be getting more powerful each day? It's not. I read in Isaiah this morning that his kingdom is increasing. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. His kingdom, his government is increasing all the time, whether we see it or not. But it feels like the cultural climate is gaining momentum and getting stronger and stronger against Christianity. But it's not because the government of Jesus is increasing all the time. But CNN is not going to tell you that. Or Facebook or Twitter. So where do we get the strength and the wisdom to navigate our cultural climate? Where do we find hope to stand up against this world system which seems like it's getting stronger and more powerful each and every day? We get it from a seemingly unlikely place, don't we? We get it from daily, sweet communion with Jesus with an open Bible and speaking to him in prayer. And so do that. Do all of that. Jesus, Bible, prayer. You need it. Did everybody get that? Read your Bible, because I don't want to spend the week answering emails, okay? Pastor said we should never read our Bible by ourselves. I did not say that. Have your devotions, but don't just do it alone. Don't just read the Bible by yourself, because you might come up with a wacky interpretation of a particular passage, just like the heretic Arius. So I don't have optimism in private, individualized Bible reading. I only have optimism in the Christian community reading Scripture together. As Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. I only have optimism in the local church and in the church throughout history reading the Bible together. Here's why. Here's an example. Because I had two friends in college who were reading the book of Revelation, and they came to me and they said, we think we're the two witnesses who are mentioned in Revelation chapter 11. Well, I got two words for the two guys who think that they are the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. You're not. (laughs) These two guys needed community, not just two people in community, They were just reading scripture in a huddle and making interpretations based on what they were feeling. They needed a local church with godly elders and pastors and the body of Christ. And they also needed the community of church history. We need the church community in order to say what God says. To do what the prophet Micaiah says here in 1 Kings 22, we need community. We need one another. So you see, I have no optimism in reading Scripture exclusively by myself. Because every time I come to Scripture, 
I read scripture with glasses, literally and figuratively. I read the Bible as a white American male from the South. And so that's the lens through which I read the Bible. And all by myself, I can't say what the prophet Micaiah says here in verse 14. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. I have to be careful because I may be thinking, I may think that the Lord is telling me something and it may not be him at all. It might be the pizza I had for dinner. It might be the fifth cup of coffee that I had that morning. You see, we all bring prejudices and presuppositions to the Bible every time we read it, and these influence how we read the Bible. So let me ask you a question. Can you help me read the Bible outside of my whiteness? Can you help me read the Bible outside of my whiteness, the fact that I am Caucasian? Can you help me get beyond the blindness of my whiteness and help me to see what I might be missing? Because I guarantee you, African-American Christians read passages about slavery, and they read it very differently than how I read it in my protected little white Caucasian world. I need help reading the Bible outside of my whiteness. And can you, as a female, Help me read the Bible through your eyes and not just read it through the lens of a male. Because I'm not going to read passages where women are abused and raped uh, in the Bible. I'm not going to read it the same way as you do, ladies. I need your help to be able to read those passages. Help me to see in these texts and in these passages what my maleness is is blinding me to see. And there's nothing wrong with being a white male. That's who God made me to be, and I celebrate that. But I also know that that's how I read the Bible, and so I need outside help. I need to go to other Christians and at least be willing to say, can you help me read the Bible? I may not agree with you, but can you help me? I need to be cautious. I need to pray for discernment. But I need people outside of my circles to help me. And they may just reinforce what I believe after I read what they believe. Or maybe not. I love reading outside of my theological circles. It challenges me. Some people are afraid to. I love reading people outside my circles because it challenges me to think about what I really believe. This week, my best friend from seminary called me this week, and he wanted me to help him read Romans 11. He said, can you help me read Romans 11? And I said, that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about on Sunday. I'm like, score another point for sovereignty and providence. He wanted me to help him read Romans 11 from my theological viewpoint. He's a dispensationalist, and I'm not, so he asked me to help him read Romans 11 from his viewpoint. I'm not a dispensationalist. Now, what is that? It's a theological system, a hermeneutical system uh, of how you read the Bible, um, popularized by the books like Left Behind. I mean, it's not just about the end times, but the emphasis is usually on the end times that Jesus could come back any moment, seven years of tribulation, then he comes back, thousand-year millennial reign, and then he ushers in the new heavens and new earth. I don't believe that, okay? But my friend does. 
And he said, help me read the Bible the way you read this passage. Because he said, I can only see it as a dispensationalist. He's asking for help to read it another way. Of course, I corrected him in his theology. (laughs) I didn't really. But think about it. What humility to say, I know you have a differing viewpoint. Help me understand how you read it that way. What humility. We need more of that in the church. So I have no optimism for private Bible reading because I wear glasses when I read just like my friend. My optimism lies in the body of Christ where we're indwelt with the same spirit and gifted for the common good. I need the body of Christ to test and approve and correct me and confirm and verify because I may be way off with how I interpret a verse. And so my optimism is not in myself because I can be dangerous with the Bible. And so can you. Just like these 400 prophets of King Ahab here in 1 Kings 22. As prophets, they are dangerous with God's word. Listen, you can make this book sing any song you want to. That's what the 400 prophets here in 1 Kings 22 are doing. They told Ahab what he wanted to hear. You can make this song sing any song you want to. You don't believe me? Well, just turn on your TV and watch the many prosperity preachers butcher this book. You can make the Bible sing any song you want to. You can be dangerous with this book, and so can I. And so we are dependent on one another, and we are dependent on church history, the church community that has gone before us. We are dependent on the traditions that have been passed down to us from the apostles and prophets in God's word to those bishops and elders and presbyters in the early church. We are dependent on that and what they passed on to the early church and then what got passed down throughout church history. See, we are all here today. We're a part of the grace community. And we're all part of our denomination, Converge. And we're all a part of conservative evangelical Christianity America in America. And we're all part of the reformed aspect of conservative evangelical Christianity in America. But there's a problem with that. We're stuck in one century. So we can't finally and fully help each other read the Bible because we're all stuck in the same century reading the Bible with 21st century glasses. Listen, I can find non-white Christians who are younger or much older than me from other denominations raised in some other part of the world. I can find them to help me read the Bible, but they have the same problem that I do. It's that we're all from the 21st century. So you can't really help me read the Bible. Thanks a lot, y'all. I thought you were my friends. You can't really help me read the Bible. Thanks. The problem is that we're all from the same century. And that's why we need church history. We need a time machine. We need to get out of our century with other believers who are indwelt with the same spirit. And we need to read scripture with them. See, community isn't just about the Christians who are living now. It's about the Christians who have lived before us. It's about those who lived before us and knew Jesus before we did. 
Our brothers and sisters from the past may be dead, but their writings and their ministries that were empowered by the Holy Spirit are still around. We need them. And we need one another. We desperately need the local church. Michael Spiegel says, Reading your Bible and praying every day is good, but it was never meant to replace the word rightly preached and heard and the sacraments rightly administered according to Christ's institution in the gathered community of saints. And so look around, Grace. The people gathered here today, the body of Christ, are God's gift to you personally. All of these people here are God's gift to you. He loves you so much, he did not leave you alone. He loves you so much, he gave you people to help you understand him and to help you understand his word. And he gave you his spirit, and he gave you his word, and he gave you a community to be a part of so that you could experience daily rescue from your ideas about God. What grace and what love. He hasn't left us to ourselves. And so the question that every Christian in this cultural climate must ask is this. Will we take God at his word? Or will we take what we feel in our hearts as truth? Will we listen to what we think, how we feel, or will we let God's word declare what we must believe? Listen, the pressure to bend and twist and dilute God's word doesn't just happen outside the city gate of Samaria with 400 prophets and a messenger of Ahab telling you that you better cave into cultural wisdom. It happens every day in all of our lives. This passage could not be more relevant to the church today. Will we let the Bible instruct us about marriage, about gender, about sex, about race, about abortion, or will we let culture guide us? The biggest thing facing the church today. One of these two things will guide us. We will either submit to culture or we will submit to God's word. We will either take our cues from Hollywood or we will take our cues from God's holy word. We will either join the 400 prophets of Ahab or we will stand with the prophet Micaiah. Let me say that again and think about whatever cultural issue is on your mind. We will either submit to culture or God's word. We will either submit to Hollywood or the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake about it, you will submit to something. And so will I. 1 Kings 22 is in the Bible to remind you and me, as we are pressured by culture to conform, that we must say what God says. Listen, don't be afraid of what culture can do to you. Say what God says. Don't be afraid of what the government can do to you. Say what God says. We're not promised protection from the government, but we don't have to live in fear. I mean, it's true. Sometimes the government throws three of God's children into a fiery furnace and they never burn up. And sometimes governments throw a man into a lion's den and the lions don't eat him. The Bible is full of all kinds of these stories where God preserves his people, where his people triumph. Like in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 to 35, it says, Who through faith conquered kingdoms. Enforced justice, obtained promises, 
Stop the mouths of lions. Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Sometimes this is the story of God's people. Hebrews eleven thirty three to 35. And then sometimes it's not so sweet. The Bible is also full of stories. Stories where God's people suffer immensely for what they believe. Even suffer brutal deaths. The Bible is full of people who said what God said, and then they were martyred, tortured, stoned, even sawn in two. That's what the rest of Hebrews 11 tells us. Verse 36 and 37. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Sawn in two. How do you like them apples? For some Christians, like those mentioned in Hebrews 11, God's will for their life was that they were cut in half because they would not deny Jesus. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You will be sawn in two. That's a snapshot of the Christian life. It's a picture of discipleship. Sometimes things are sweet, and sometimes you get sawn in two. But even if that happens, even if we were to be sawn in two, guess what? We believe in the resurrection, right? We believe in a God who brings dead people back to life. That's his business. Raising dead people is my business, and business is good. We believe in a God who can take the two parts of you because you were sawn in two, and he can bring them back together in resurrection. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that God is a skilled seamstress. He can sew you up in the resurrection. So we don't have to fear our culture. We can say what God says, like the prophet Micaiah here. We can speak the truth of God's word and not fear what might happen to us. And when we do speak the truth, as we saw several weeks ago, we should do it with a steel spine and a soft heart. We don't have to be jerks when we say what God says. That's the soft heart. And we don't have to fear. That's the steel spine. So we don't have to be jerks when we say what God says. Don't be a jerk when you tell people what God's word says. Say it with a soft heart. This person is blind. They're dead in sin. They're lost. They don't get it. Speak it with a soft heart. But we also don't have to fear. We can speak the truth with a steel spine. I don't know about you, but as I think about all these things, I'm going with God. He is far scarier than culture is. Culture and government have nothing on Jesus. What did Jesus himself say in Matthew 10, 28? And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let me give you some advice today. Fear God. Don't fear culture. Don't fear the government. All they can do is take your life. That's it. Stand before him and say, all you can do is take my life. It's all you can do. God can take your life and then cast you into hell for eternity. So fear God and honor him 
and submit to his word and say what God says with a steel spine and a soft heart. Fear God, not culture, not government. As Martin Luther wrote in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And think about how relevant these words are to our day and time. He said, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. You notice the emphasis on truth abiding? And so what is the one little word that will undo the devil? I tell you what it is, it's the word liar. That's the one little word that Luther had in mind when he wrote the lyrics to A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Now, lots of people didn't like Martin Luther. He was a little edgy, and so they wrote a lot of things about him. And so when speaking about some of the books that were written against him, not tweets, not Facebook posts, books were written against Martin Luther. When speaking about these books that were written against him, here's what Martin Luther said, and he's speaking in the third person here as he refers to himself. He says, For all such books, even if there were as many as thousands of them written every day and every hour, they are very easily refuted with the single word, Devil, you lie. Just as that haughty beggar Dr. Luther sings so proudly and boldly in those words of his hymn, one little word shall fail him. One little word just makes the devil crumble. One little word will stop the devil in his tracks. Liar. So when the devil tries to tell you that God doesn't love you, say this, liar. When the devil speaks to you, say what God says. Call him a liar. Jesus called the devil a liar in John 8, verse 44. He says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's no truth in anything that the devil says. No truth in him. He lies. He speaks out of his character. He's the father of lies. So say what God says and call the devil a liar. The devil does not want the truth getting out. He hates the truth. He loves lies. We see that here in 1 Kings 22. He wanted the prophet Micaiah to lie and not say what God says. Why? Because number one, the devil hates truth. And number two, he loves and enjoys falsehood. He actually cherishes lying. And so when the devil tells you that God must be fed up with you by now, say this, liar. 
When the devil tells you that you can't be an effective witness for Jesus, say this, liar. When the devil tells you that you better not speak up for Christ or bad things will happen, say this, say it with me now. Let's say it collectively as a church family and a community. When the devil tells you you better not speak up for Christ or bad things will happen, say this, liar. When the devil tells you that your sins aren't forgiven, say this, liar. When the devil tells you that the pleasures of sin are worth it, say this, liar. When the devil tells you that God's word is not sufficient, say this, liar. That's the one little word that shall fail him, liar. And I hope it lives on your lips, and I hope you say it often and say it loud. Let me ask you this morning, what false prophecy are you believing today? What lies from the devil are giving, are you giving control over your life? Where are you giving him control and listening to him? Do you feel like God must be fed up with you by now? Say what God says. He rejoices over you with singing. Do you feel like he has abandoned you? Say what God says. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you feel like your life is one big pointless mess? Say what God says. He's working all things together for your good, even if you get sawn in two. I want to read something as we close that at least Fitzpatrick said in her book, Counsel from the Cross. By the way, her daughter Jessica Thompson is going to be here next month at our women's uh, retreat. Uh, so ladies, sign up. You do not want to miss out on an afternoon, a morning of just gospel, pure gospel refreshment. So don't forget to sign up, ladies, because Elise's daughter, Jessica, is going to be here. But Elise said this from her book, Counsel from the Cross, and Mike Ruiz posted it on Instagram the other day, and I thought, this is a perfect way to wrap up my sermon. Here's what she said. Think on his love, God's love. You can't do it enough. Be enraptured by it. Let it overwhelm you. Don't worry that it will make you apathetic. Just the opposite is true. Hoping in his transforming love causes us to strive after purity, to be pure as he is pure, 1 John 3, 3. Your enemy wants to blind you to God's love, to make you think that God isn't as good as he says he is. He sneers with wicked glee when you gloss over verses about the Lord's love for you and seek to know only your obligation. He will flatter you and tell you that now that you are mature, you don't need to think on his love. But if you believe Satan's lies, you will cut yourself off from the very engine that will empower true obedience. He will continually try to distract you from thinking on God's love for you in Christ. And he will do it either by pointing out your sin or impressing you with your achievements and others' failures. Or by enticing you with some worthless trinket. He will do anything he can to keep you from basking in God's steadfast love for you and pursuing purity in loving dependence. He doesn't care if he keeps you down by pointing out your sin or pointing you to sin. He seeks to damn both the religious and irreligious. What do we need to remember? God is love. God is love and the devil is a liar and he sneers with wicked glee when you gloss over verses about the Lord's love for you. So say what God says and call the devil what God calls him, a liar. And then go enjoy your forgiveness. 
for crying out loud, Christian, you are in Christ. You have been credited with the righteousness of Christ and you are clean and you are loved and you are forgiven. So go out to lunch today and celebrate. Celebrate that God loves you. Rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life and rest in the finished work of Christ. So here's some homework for you. For those of you who want something to do after a sermon, here you go. Go to a restaurant today and celebrate your forgiveness. And tell the waiter that you're celebrating. And when they ask you what you're celebrating, say what God says in Hebrews 8 and tell them, Jesus can't remember my sins. I'm celebrating that today. You want an opportunity to share the gospel? There you go. That's like a little, just a lob pitch for you to knock it out of the park. Tell them, we're celebrating today. What, is it a birthday? No, we're celebrating that Jesus can't remember our sins. And then tell them that they can have that hope too. Think on God's love. Say what he says about his love for you. And then for crying out loud today, guys, go enjoy your forgiveness. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you're so good to us. Thank you that you paid the penalty for our sin and you lived a perfect life in our place. God raised you from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we have reason to rejoice now to enjoy our forgiveness. Help us to just loosen up, not be so serious. Help us to think about your love for us, Jesus. And then give us soft hearts for the unbelievers that you've placed around us in our life and give us still spines to share the truth of your word, Lord. Help us not to fear. Not to fear culture, not to fear government. Help us to fear you and submit to you and honor you. And then we pray that you would be glorified in our lives and in this church as we do these things. Because it's all for you, Jesus. Help us to enjoy our forgiveness today. And then may you be glorified as we do. In your name we pray, amen.